We're now going to uh, read the word of God together, so I'm going to encourage you, if you would like to stand in the Old Testament times on Jesus' day, they would always stand when the word of God was read. So if you can stand to stretch your legs before the message, you're going to have to concentrate a little bit. Why don't you stand and we'll read uh, together. We're going to read from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, from verse 19 to the 26. So Lamentations chapter 3, reading from verse 19. And Jeremiah writes, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And we pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. We'll pray just for a moment. Father, as we're going to look at your word together, we pray that in your kindness you'd send your Holy Spirit. Give us an understanding, O Lord, of, of what it says and how it applies to our lives today. And we pray, O Lord, that you would do something in our hearts through to bring honor and glory to your name. Encourage us, because we ask it, Father, in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Do be seated and don't make yourselves too comfortable, just a little bit comfortable maybe, and we'll uh, look at this together. Well, as I've already confessed, I came to meet Jesus almost uh, 50 years ago, or 49 years ago. Uh, I came into a relationship with God. It was a, 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 a wonderful thing. I, I'd, I'd not really known anything about God, but I was told that God loved me. And uh, I discovered that to be true. And I thought that when I met Jesus that all my problems were going to be over. But I was surprised that that wasn't accurate. You see, I came across uh, scriptures like James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds... Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And as I read that verse, I began to see that I was going to face trials of many kinds. And I was going to go through experiences that would test my faith. And that actually made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I guess it makes us all feel uncomfortable. But I came to understand that God uses problems and difficulties to grow us, to change us, to help us to become more of what he wants us to be. The poet said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and ne'er a word she said. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And it's true, isn't it? We tend to learn most through the difficulties that we face. I think John Stott said, I would suggest 
that some form of suffering is virtually indispensable to holiness. And while it's rather wonderful to think that our great God deals with us individually, one-on-one, and it's a wonderful thing that he's promised that he will work in our hearts and lives to make us more like his son, that's wonderful. But then we realize that some of the work that he does in our lives we find to be just a little bit painful. But then he's got to knock so many sharp edges off us, hasn't he? So many corners. Paul writes about this in Philippians. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And as the potter molds the clay and forms it into the shape that he desires, so that's what God does with us. He, he molds us and shapes us, and sometimes that is just a little bit uncomfortable. But as I look back on my Christian life, I have to confess that I know that it is God who has kept me. It wasn't the strength of my grip holding him. It was the strength of his grip holding me that made all the difference. And I have to tell you that that truth has given me great confidence, especially when I run into problems. And we all run into problems. When we run into problems, it is good to know that there is a God who cares for us, who loves us, and who is able and willing to help us. Now, we read together some interesting verses that were penned by Jeremiah. It's very important to understand the context because if we understand the context, then the verses really come to life for us. Perhaps you may not know that in 586 BC, Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And the prophet Jeremiah was absolutely broken. His words are filled with pain, and he sobs and he groans as his heart overflows with anguish. Let's just look at some of the things that he says in that chapter 3. He says, I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Well, if you're walking in darkness, you can't see where you're going. So that was difficult. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again, all day long. It wasn't just God turning his hand against him on one occasion for a few moments, but it was again and again, and it was for all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. Don't you get a sense of hopelessness here? He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. How awful that must have been. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wake, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me without help. Mangled me. Oh, my word. What an expression. 
He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone And all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. That's a terrible description, isn't it, of of disillusionment. I wonder, have you ever felt that low? Have you ever felt that kind of God has forgotten about you? Have you felt that maybe God's turned his back on you? That's the way Jeremiah felt. And he didn't hold back. He just poured it all out to God. No wonder he was known as the weeping prophet. And I find verse 18 very poignant. He says, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. His his hope drained away like water out of a bath when you pull the plug. His hope just drained away. And yet when he, and it says in in Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's where Jeremiah was. His heart was so sick. And yet when he mentions the Lord, so I say my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord. When he mentions the Lord, that seems to break the spell of misery that was binding him. And hope rises in his heart. And he says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And if you look at that carefully, you'll see very uh, clearly that he was talking about God, but then he suddenly begins to talk to God. He says, great is your faithfulness every morning. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, his compassions. How lovely that is. So I wonder this morning, maybe some of you are facing difficulties today, and if you're not, don't worry. It's probably your turn next week. So if you're going to face difficulties, how, how are you going to respond to them? Well, you see, our, the way we respond reveals what kind of hope we have and where we place our hope. And the truth is that hope can vanish in a heartbeat. When a career athlete uh, has a, an injury that ends their, their career, when a pro athlete has a career ending injury, hope based on physical ability proves empty. When a biopsy report comes back positive and three weeks later you bury somebody you love, Hope based on health proves to be pretty futile, doesn't it? And when your hopes are in your job and the end of the month when you get your big bucks, and all of a sudden you don't have your job because the economy has tanked, hope vanishes. If whatever holds you up, a thing, a person, or a plan, for whatever reason, if that doesn't come through, Your sense of peace and satisfaction and well-being is gone. And instead, you experience anxiety 
concern and despair. And I suspect that most of us are a little bit worried about the heating bills towards the end of the winter. How much are we going to have to pay? We see the grocery bills are going up every week. So we can be a little bit concerned. Somebody has said that hope is the oxygen of the soul. We can live for weeks without food and survive for days without water. But without oxygen, we're only a moment, a few minutes, maybe, from death. And if hope is oxygen for the soul, we can't live long without it. When what we're really hoping for is gone, we die. Now, Jeremiah's hope rested in the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness offers us hope regardless of what problems and pain there may be around us. And the lovely thing is we read in the book of Malachi that expression, I, the Lord, do not change. That's wonderful. He's not like us. He doesn't have off days. He's always the same and his compassions never fail. And when we hurt, we need to know that God is faithful. We always need to be able to count on that. Whether we're going uphill or whether the path we're on takes us downhill and into a dark place, and even if we hit rock bottom, his character does not depend on our emotions, our thoughts, or even the rapidly changing events around about us. Apart from God, everything is changeable passing and unworthy of our hope but God is different he is unwavering and he welcomes our trust so the question I want to pose this morning is how does God reveal his faithfulness that's a great question isn't it how does God reveal his faithfulness well I want to make some suggestions to you I think he reveals his faithfulness to us in his creation Psalm 145, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Now, God has fixed the planets uh, and balanced the solar system. And from time to time, the astronomers come and they say, oh, we've discovered a new galaxy, and they give it a new name. And, but you know, those galaxies were there all the time. They were there all the time, carefully positioned there by our Heavenly Father. And the precision of creation is revealed in things like the consistency of the sundial, a bit difficult in Scotland as we don't have sun just too often, but the sundial tells the time. The precision of creation, how wonderful. We see consistency in nature. Why? Because God himself is utterly consistent. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heaven declares the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So God reveals his faithfulness through his creation. He also reveals his faithfulness through his character. God reveals his faithfulness through his character. Why? Because, you see, God's reputation is at stake. God has said that he's faithful. 
And if for a moment he proved to be anything less than faithful, his reputation would be trashed. His character would be brought into disrepute. And that will never happen because the honor of his name is at stake. Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? Isn't it good to know that when God makes a promise, he keeps it? Absolutely. I wonder, have you ever heard of a man called Thomas Chisholm? Thomas Chisholm wrote a hymn, a great hymn, called Great is Thy Faithfulness. You know the hymn well. We're going to sing it in a little while. Some great hymns are written uh, in response to a dramatic spiritual experience. But that isn't the case with this hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You see, Thomas Chisholm uh, was testifying to a lifetime of receiving God's faithful care. And not long before he died, Chisholm wrote these words. He says, my income has never been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me on until now. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of providing care which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. You see, God is utterly trustworthy and unwaveringly steadfast. So God reveals his faithfulness through his creation, through his character, and through his word. Look at Isaiah. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. God has given us in his word uh, quite a range of promises and prophecies. He goes on to say, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And that just means that whatever was on God's heart for this service today, God's going to do because God keeps his word. So in his word, we find lots of promises and lots of prophecies. It has been calculated that there are something like 109 prophecies about Christ's birth, his life, his teaching, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. 109 prophecies. Now, I'm not into mathematics, and I have a calculator at home, but it's not a really big one. But I'm told that by the law of compound probabilities, the odds against those 109 prophecies being fulfilled by chance are astronomical, to be precise. And I can't say that, because I don't know how. There's 31, I think, 31 letters in, in, in that figure there. The odds against those prophecies being fulfilled. I mean, that's extraordinary, isn't it? And actually, there are, um, in, there, there are 25 uh, prophecies, details relating to his betrayal, his death, and his burial. And again, by the law of compound probabilities, the odds against those 25 prophecies being fulfilled are, are nearly 350 million to one against. And yet... All of the prophecies were fulfilled in the space of 33 years, and the 25 relating to his death, burial, and resurrection were fulfilled within the space of just about 
24 hours. How extraordinary that is. Not a single one of God's prophecies has failed. The ones that have not yet been fulfilled are just as certain. We can count on God's promises. Why? Because God is faithful. He's revealed his faithfulness through his creation, through his character, and through his word, and lastly, through his son. The ultimate example of God's faithfulness comes to us through Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, Isaiah writes, speaking of the Lord, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. In other words, when we look at Jesus, the character traits of righteousness and faithfulness stand out as clearly as a sash. When you look at the character of Jesus, righteousness and faithfulness stand out as clearly as a sash. God shows his faithfulness to us in so many ways every single day, especially on those days when we face temptation, and we, we all will. Paul writes in Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. How extraordinary that is. There's always a way out of every temptation if we choose to take it. Why? Because God is faithful. And not only that, not only has the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive our sins, he knows us and he knows that we've got feet of clay and that we stumble every single day and we blow it big time. And just for our comfort, he's given us another wonderful promise. And it's this, if we confess our sins, he is what? He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? So God says, listen, I'm going to forgive your sin, I'm going to take it away, and I'm going to watch over you, and every time you trip and fall and muck up and mess up, don't worry, I've got this promise, you just come and tell me about it, and I'll forgive you. Isn't that wonderful? He is faithful. How extraordinary that is. God remains true, and his promises remain true. And his, he forgives us. And it's not as though he doesn't know us. I'm so amazed that the scripture says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I would understand it, really, if God looked down and saw Michael Healy today and said, oh, wow, if I had realized what kind of a rascal he was going to be, I, I, I wouldn't have died on the cross for him. But that will never happen. Because he has a perfect knowledge. And he knows every detail about all of our lives. And for reasons that I don't understand, he still loves us. That is just extraordinary. And he's given us this promise so that when tomorrow you lose your patience and you kick the cat or you chuck the rubbish over the fence into next door neighbor's garden, whatever you do that you shouldn't do, and you say, sorry, he says, that's okay. And he forgives us. So God is faithful and he reveals his faithfulness to us through his creation, through his character, through his word, and through, through his son. And then we must ask the question, well, if that's true, how do we respond to God's faithfulness? What's the appropriate response today? Well, no matter how shocked you may be 
by your own faithlessness. God is not surprised. And God is not diverted from his purpose in our lives. He longs for us to know at the core of our beings that he is faithful. And I don't know if there's somebody here and you've never met Jesus. For you, Jesus is maybe just a figure in history, but, but not real. Well, he wants you to know him. So let me make just some very simple suggestions. The first is this. We all have a past, and it's important to put the past in the past. Recognize that Christ deals with our past. You see, when we come to him, as I did when I was 22, all those years ago, and I said, God, if you're, if you're there, because I wasn't sure if he was real, and if you can do in my heart what I've been told you can do, you can take my sin away. If you can do that, and if that's what needs to happen, I want you to do it. And I didn't feel any different. I woke up the next morning and I began to pray, thinking, well, maybe I better pray because just in case God didn't hear me, I had no idea how acute God's hearing was. So I prayed, God, I'm not going to tell anybody that, that I've asked you to do a work in my heart to take my sin away and save my soul. I'm not going to tell anybody because I'm frightened that this might not be real until somebody comes to me and says, Michael, you've changed. And my twin brother came to me a couple of days later. He said, Mike, what's, what's happened to you? I said, what do you mean? He said, you're different. I said, hallelujah. He said, what? I said, Jesus is real. And so he says, well, so what? And over the years, I've, he said to me several times, Mike, I wish I had a faith like yours. And I've always said, God is so gracious. Why did you ask him? Because he's generous as well as gracious. And he'll give you a faith. But sadly, to date, he hasn't. How extraordinary to know that when we come to him, we are washed clean. Hebrews says, the Lord says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God's got an active forgetter. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. The enemy likes to sit on our shoulder and he likes to whisper. He thinks, oh man, you are so awful. You see that thing you did last year? Oh, you need to say sorry again. So you think, oh goodness me. And you go and you say, oh God, I'm so sorry. And God says, well, sorry for what? Because he can't remember it, you see. Because he says, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. So we have to be really careful not to listen to that little voice that whispers, whoa, you need to go say sorry again. You only need to say sorry once and mean it. Not just once in your lifetime, but for every, every time you confess, Lord, please forgive me for the things I've done today that have offended you. So it's good to put the past in the past. And then secondly, we have to present everything to Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is the kind of God who, when you are tired, distant, and burdened with guilt, gives us this invitation, just come to me and I'll give you rest. And he also says, take my yoke upon you. And the word yoke creates a picture of two oxen yoked together 
maybe pulling a plough or, or something. That, that idea of being yoked to God is a pretty neat idea. It's not a bad situation if you're pulling away and God is pulling away alongside you. And when, when you feel you've blown it, as a Christian, Jesus says, why don't you team up with me and learn from me? I'm gentle and humble and I'm not going to come down on you. And you'll find rest for your soul. Why did you get out of the rat race and quit trying to live this life on your own? What a powerful image that is. And maybe he's whispering to somebody this morning, come to me. I'm gentle and lowly. And I'll give you rest for your souls and peace in your hearts. How wonderful that is. And then, finally, remember that he and he alone is our hope. Remember Jeremiah? We glimpsed something of the difficulties that he was going through. And the more he reflected on the awfulness of his circumstances, the more he came to realize that as bad as they were, they did not stack up against the faithfulness of God. The wonderful thing is this, and you may be worried about what the future holds with this economic situation. If we can trust God for the whole of eternity, don't you think we can trust him in the here and now? Because if we can't trust him in the here and now, we're going to be in trouble in eternity. Isn't that right? But the word tells us that he's faithful. And he makes promises and he keeps his promises. We can build our lives on that. And that's why Jeremiah says, Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. So the message this morning is very simply this. Regardless of what's going on in your life or what may go on in your life in, in, the, in the days to come, God will never, ever let you down. Because if he did, he would lose his integrity. And God will never do that. We can trust him totally for our tomorrows and I think it's a really good thing to wake up every morning and say to yourself the Lord is my portion and so he is what makes us special nothing we're ordinary we're no better than anybody else but it's just that we have been in receipt of his kindness and his grace isn't it good to know that God is faithful I think that's a truth that's worth talking about. Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, when we talk about struggles, we do so in hushed tones gently because we don't know 
the struggles of the person sitting next to us. But we know that you know, and we know that you care. And we ask that in your gentle, loving way, that you would draw alongside every head bowed in your presence this morning, and that you would very tenderly whisper into hearts, I know, I understand, and I love you. And we pray that the response of our hearts will bring a smile of pleasure to your face this morning. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.